Okay, let's uh, go ahead and ask the Lord's blessing on our study this evening. Father in heaven, sanctify us through thy truth. Uh, thy word is truth. Pray that thou would send thy spirit that our hearts might be softened and made ready to receive, Lord, the seed uh, of thy word that is sowed in our hearts, and thou would bring forth fruit uh, to thy glory, and that thou would cleanse us as we approach thee, wash us of our sins, and, and receive now, Lord, our, our hearts, our minds, uh, as devoted to thee, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin reading John twelve twenty seven, which again picks up the context from our last study. John twelve twenty seven, and we'll read through verse forty one. The the new verses that we're covering this evening began with verse thirty four, and go through forty one. But let's begin with John twelve. Verse 27, Jesus is, is speaking here. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed, and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
Therefore they could not believe. Because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. From the previous study, which we have just uh, read, God thundered forth his voice from heaven to comfort his own son, who was greatly distressed in his soul over what he was about to suffer, both physically suffer and especially spiritually suffer. And he was about to enter into this extreme uh, suffering from his father in just a few days <clears throat> in order to <clears throat> in order to uh, suffer this and experience this for the sake of his people to deliver his people from the guilt and the condemnation and the power of their sin so we gain a little insight as we spent some time last week uh, considering that Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. He was distressed. Uh, he was certainly fully God, but here we see he was fully man as well. The death of Jesus <clears throat> brought salvation to all who trust in him, but brought God's judgment Notice, now is the judgment, in verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. So it brought salvation to those who trust in him, but it brought God's judgment to the world who disbelieve him. For there is no other sacrifice for sin other than Christ's sacrifice. That's what Hebrews 10, 12 says, there is one sacrifice. And that's the sacrifice of Christ for sin. If anyone seeks to enter heaven except through Christ and through his sacrifice once offered to pay the debt of sin, uh, one will not uh, be saved. One will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Likewise, the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, here it says uh, in verse 31, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. This is a, a reference to Satan, to whom uh, God has given uh, power uh, to rule, uh, not, not a, uh, to rule on his behalf, uh, on God's behalf, but Satan would have no power if God did not give that power to Satan. Satan is not God. And so whatever power Satan has is permitted by the Lord. And uh, he speaks of Satan uh, being cast out as a result of his death, as a result of his resurrection. That means, again, that uh, Satan's doom was sealed. Judgment was sealed. Uh, now, he is not going to be cast into the lake of fire until 
the second coming of Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, uh, the sacrifice which Christ offered doomed uh, uh, Satan. And uh, he is, as it were, uh, operating by way of his activity on borrowed time. Uh, that uh, that uh, judgment has been rendered already through Christ's uh, death and resurrection. That ought to be, again, uh, an encouragement to us uh, that, that Satan uh, is not running around uh, able to do whatever he wills to do, uh, that his judgment has already been issued, and it's just a matter of, of Christ's return when it will be uh, finally realized. And then one last thing in verse 32, Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And we noted that Jesus here reveals the kind of death that he would suffer. He was not going to be stoned to death. Uh, he was not going to be beheaded. Uh, he was to be lifted up. Uh, he was to be crucified upon a cross. And that's what he means. If I be lifted from the earth um, by way of uh, this most uh, anguish-filled uh, uh, kind of death, one of the worst imaginable uh, types of death that were reserved for the worst uh, types of criminals. Jesus suffered as one who is viewed as being one of the worst criminals. That's how he was judged by men. And yet that was a part of the judgment that God brought upon him, that he was crucified upon a cross and died by uh, asphyxiation. Uh, by slow suffocation. That's, that's the, the nature of, of the cross and how one dies. It, again, excruciating. In fact, the, the word excruciating has the word cruis, cross, in it. Uh, excruciating is to die the death of a cross. And, and uh, that, that, again, illustrates uh, the... Uh, the extreme anguish that's involved uh, in crucifixion. So now let us begin with verse 34. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So the crowd that was gathered there around the Lord Jesus, rather than falling before the Lord upon hearing this voice thunder from heaven, the voice of the Father, and honoring, and honoring his Son, rather they question what Jesus meant by predicting his own death by crucifixion. They were having a difficult time reconciling the fact that the Old Testament prophets 
When they spoke of the Messiah, they, which means anointed one, the king that would come, uh, that his reign would be forever, that he would reign forever, uh, his kingdom would be forever. And so that they saw in the Old Testament, prophets, which is certainly true. For example, in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now notice, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice and henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And then in Daniel seven fourteen. It speaks of the Son of Man who would come and his kingdom likewise being an everlasting kingdom. Daniel seven fourteen, And there was given him, the Son of Man, given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. So, the people in understanding that Christ's kingdom uh, would be an everlasting kingdom, that the Messiah, Messiah is simply the Hebrew equivalent to Christ, which is Greek, and they both mean anointed one, as, as the anointed king, they were, they were certainly right in understanding uh, the everlasting nature of Christ's kingship and of uh, the kingdom over which he would rule. And so they could not reconcile that with the fact that Jesus says he was going to be lifted up and to die upon a cross. So they're basically going through their minds and saying, but if you're the Christ, the Christ is to live forever and have an eternal kingship and kingdom. How is it that you're speaking of being crucified and, and dying upon a cross? Well, the Old Testament not only speaks of Christ reigning forever as king, but it also speaks of Christ as the suffering servant as well, that would pay the debt of sin for his people. In Isaiah 53, and we'll be looking at this a little more, but the, the entire chapter is a very uh, ex, explicit chapter in the Old Testament uh, dealing with the death of Christ, uh, dealing with his burial, dealing with his resurrection, and so um, that also speaks of Christ. Uh, and so here they have a difficult time reconciling the fact that he's king forever, but yet he is going to die as a suffering servant 
And in Isaiah 53, uh, it uh, speaks of why he was going to die. He was going to be afflicted by his father for the transgressions and sins of his people. He was going to be the Lamb of God to bear the punishment of God for his people. You see, the Jews and uh, even the disciples of Christ, they were expecting uh, in Jesus Christ a reigning king uh, who would overcome the Romans, but they were not expecting a suffering servant who would die and be crucified. Jesus came as both. He didn't come uh, as one and not the other, but he came as both a suffering servant to pay the debt of sin for his people, and he came to reign as king as well. But in order for him to reign as king, he must first suffer, because the nature of his kingdom is, is spiritual, and it's not simply exercising force by way of military force and conquering people that way. He conquers people by, by drawing them to himself by uh, his death upon the cross, paying the debt of sin, the guilt of sin, the condemnation of sin, and the power of sin. And so his reign has to do with subduing people to himself, to his dominion, by way of, of overcoming their sin, the great enemy. Uh, that has brought people into bondage is sin. He came to deliver uh, people, those chosen in Christ Jesus from before the foundation of the earth who come to believe and trust in him. He, he died in order to overcome the sin issue so that they might have everlasting life, so that they might reign with him forever. And so it was necessary for Jesus to come as the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 in order that he might reign as king forever and ever. Verses 35 through 36. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you, Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. So, the Lord Jesus here, rather than answering their question about how could he be the Messiah and be the son of man that was prophesied to come in Daniel 7 and be crucified, rather than dealing with that question and answering that question, the Lord Jesus turns his comments uh, to this matter of light and darkness. He responds by warning them to walk in the light that he, being the light of the world, shines forth. 
That light is his truth. That light is his righteousness. He cautions them to walk in his light while he is yet with them in order that darkness not overcome them. And in fact, the darkness of sin, the darkness of judgment did overcome the nation of Israel. When they crucified him who was the light of the world, darkness overcame the Jewish people at that time. They crucified Christ, they persecuted the apostles and other Christians, and as a result, darkness, the darkness of sin and judgment fell upon them in 70 AD uh, when the Romans laid siege to Jerusalem, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and led uh, the people uh, of Jerusalem and Judea uh, into the dispersion, into captivity, and uh, dispersed them throughout uh, uh, the Roman world at that time. This is exactly what the Lord said would happen. He, the Lord told them, in fact, in, back in Matthew 23, due to their sinful rebellion and not listening to the light, him being the light, and them choosing rather to walk in their darkness and unbelief, he says, Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 34, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify. Some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you, that this generation that he's speaking to, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed from the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And then in just the next uh, chapter, verse 2, 24, 2, as they were looking at the temple, notice what Jesus says with regard to the, uh, the temple. See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. That is, of the temple. It will be completely destroyed. And this was, again, as Jesus is saying, you know, I am the light. While I'm with you, walk in the light. Believe me in the light. Believe in me. Because if you do not believe in me, there is going to fall upon you such a darkness and judgment that will fall. 
You see, there's a principle here that not only applies to the Jews, but applies to uh, all of us in general. That the result of rejecting God's light, his truth, his revelation, his righteousness, is that of darkness. Judicially, God brings darkness when we reject his truth and his righteousness. When God reveals to us the gospel, when God reveals to us his commandments, his doctrine, his worship, when God reveals to us his truth and we say, no, I don't want it. What, rather than that being kind of a neutral position that we're left in, uh, no, the, the light that we have is taken away and darkness falls upon us, God says. And that's why it's so important that whatever light, we rejoice in the light. Whatever light that God gives to us, let us rejoice in the light and understanding. Not uh, uh, consider it to be un unimportant, irrelevant. Uh, not consider it something that we want nothing to be a part of. But rather to receive the light that God gives to us. Because as we receive the light he gives to us, he gives to us more light. But when we reject light, he takes even the light that we have away from us, and darkness falls upon us. That's the general principle that we find here Jesus speaking of. Jesus said in John seven seventeen, If any man will do his will not simply desire to know his will, but notice, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. What Jesus is saying, if we want to know the will of God, uh, we have to do the will of God as far as what we know it to be. We cannot simply uh, receive God's not going to give us insight. He's not going to give us knowledge of his will if we're not doing what, we, what he's already given to us, if we're not using that knowledge and revelation of his will that he has already given to us, rejoicing in it, walking in it, even if it's difficult, even if it's hard, even if it means bearing his cross. If he has given us light and truth, and we want to know more of his will for our life. We want to know his will from the study of scripture. What does this teach? Uh, what is the doctrine that, that is being taught in God's word? What is the truth that's being taught in God's The Lord says we must be willing to do his will, not simply be curious to know it, Anybody can be curious to know God's will and yet not really want to do it. Why should he reveal his will to us if we're not already doing the will that he has revealed to us? The same principle that where God gives light and we turn against that light that he gives to us 
that same principle of him uh, giving darkness, not, it not being a neutral state if we reject light, is likewise taught by Paul in Romans chapter 1, <clears throat> with regard to uh, this speaking with regard to unbelievers. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them, saying that basically all men have God's revelation, natural revelation within them, in their conscience. There is knowledge. They, they know these things. All men know these things to be true, that, that there is a God. So that if... Uh, they deny God, uh, they're denying what they actually know within their own hearts. Mm -hmm. It says in verse 20, Romans 1.20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Notice what it says now. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They knew, but because they rejected the truth, what, what does it say? Their foolish heart was darkened. It didn't stay in some neutral state. It was darkened. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to, to corruptible man into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now notice this, this judgment of darkness that God gives men over to, verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the loss of their own flesh, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And then it speaks again, God gave them up. God gave them up. In other words, uh, God's giving them over to the darkness uh, in which uh, they choose and want to live. And this is again the Lord Jesus in John 3 speaks of the world uh, wanting to remain in darkness. John 3, 19 through 21. And this is the condemnation, Jesus says, that light is coming to the world. Uh, particularly, light has come into the world through him who is the light of the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So again, the reason that men uh, choose darkness, choose unbelief, uh, choose unrighteousness, rebellion, 
all of the perversions that we see, distortions of the truth, the reason they choose that is because they prefer, Jesus says, they prefer darkness over light. They do not want to come to the light and have their errors and their sins and their, their perverse imaginations revealed for what they are. This is, again, the nature of all of us. This is where all of us are by nature, unless God gives us his light and the love and love for the light, love for Christ, love for his truth. That's not something natural that happens. That's something supernatural that happens because what Jesus has described here is where we are all in Adam, uh, that we hate the light, that we prefer our own darkness. That's, that's the condemnation that's come upon the world. We love darkness, Jesus says. But again, uh, those who are uh, brought to the light, they desire to come uh, to the light those whom God has given his light to, they desire to come to the light and to walk in that light that the Lord has bestowed upon them. Notice in John 12, 36, Jesus says, While ye have light, believe in the light that ye may be the children of light. We can't walk in the light until we, what she says in verse 35, for he uh, walk while ye have the light. So he's, he's saying walk in the light, but we can't walk in the light until we believe in the light. Verse 36. And so we must believe in order to walk. Uh, we do not begin walking in the light. We can't walk in the light uh, because our hearts are, by nature, in Adam, our hearts are um, quite contrary to the light. Uh, until, as we said, the Lord opens our eyes, heals us of our blindness, and turns us away from our darkness, and grants us faith and trust in him and love for him and for his truth, we're not going to walk in the light. And so that's why Jesus says, while ye have light, believe in the light. In other words, one of the evidences that we have indeed believed in the light, Jesus, is that we desire to walk in the light. Now again, none of us are perfect or sinless in this life. And, uh, but that's even walking in the light when we fall and we repent and we renew our covenant with the Lord and we seek his forgiveness. That's walking in the light. That's what the gospel is all about. The gospel is not given to perfect men, sinless human beings. It's given to sinners 
who need, again, Jesus Christ, who need the light, even to be restored when we fall away from him. And then in verse 36 at the very end, these things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. So we don't know exactly where Jesus went, whether he went back to Bethany, uh, when it says he hid himself from them or some other location in Jerusalem. But uh, this was no doubt uh, his doing in order to uh, avoid uh, a confrontation with them that would lead to his premature uh, death. He was, he, he was to die according to God's calendar, which was, again, later on that week, not right then. And so he, he uh, again, as we've seen in other places, he hides himself uh, at an appropriate time. Verse 37, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. So verses 37 through 43, we're only going to go through 41 tonight, but verses 37 through 43 are parenthetical. They're inspired by uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, but they are John's uh, commentary. Uh, they are John's remarks, the Apostle John's remarks. That, that are supplied at this point uh, in the text concerning the unbelief found among the Jews. So John has something to say by way of the Holy Spirit about this unbelief. Why? Why were they unbelieving? Uh, why didn't they receive the light? Why uh, didn't they believe in Christ? though he had done many, many miracles there. No matter how many miracles Jesus performed, and again, we have a sampling in the gospel accounts of many miracles, but again, that's just a, a brief summary. That's not detailing all the miracles that Jesus performed. Uh, he performed so many more miracles than we actually have recorded, but uh, no matter how many miracles Jesus performed, what we learn here is that miracles in themselves do not change somebody's heart. Uh, miracles in themselves can be uh, due to sin and corruption and unbelief, argued away, or they can be received um, uh, but not with saving faith. In other words, someone might see a miracle that Jesus had performed and say, wow, isn't that amazing? Uh, but it not be uh, a means to actually bring them to believe and trust in Jesus as their own savior. Um, they could be wowed by the miracle, but be lost in their sin. So miracles do not save us. Miracles do not change us. Miracles are intended to point us to the one who can save us. Uh, 
That is, the miracles of Jesus were intended to point the people who witnessed them to Jesus and all that he said about himself and who he was and who he is. And so as we read even in, in the present time about the miracles of Christ that were performed in his ministry or the miracles that we find performed by the apostles of Jesus Christ, well, we're not simply to, to say, isn't that amazing? Uh, those miracles are intended to t turn our, our eye of faith uh, to Jesus Christ, that he is who he said he was. Those miracles are intended to confirm his message, what he was saying about him being the light. Uh, they were not to, to leave a person indifferent. They were not intended to leave a person um, neutral. Uh, miracles uh, either draw a person, the miracles of Christ either were used by the Lord to draw people unto Jesus Christ by way of saving faith, or they basically, the miracles ultimately, then uh, if they did not draw them to faith in Christ, they hardened their hearts. The miracles hardened their hearts to Christ. Uh, how many times did Jesus perform a miracle like the multiplying of the bread and the fish to feed 5,000 and then um, a few hours later they're saying, what miracle do you perform to show who you are? That's the nature of unbelief. Um, uh, if God's not working in somebody's heart to receive uh, what miracle was performed and to point that person unto faith in Jesus Christ. The Pharisees in John eleven forty seven said, what are we going to do with this man? He was performing many miracles. They didn't deny, the Pharisees didn't deny the miracles which Jesus performed. They just chose not to believe what he said about himself. They chose not to see those miracles as pointing to the fact that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, because their hearts were darkened. You see, the Jews were indeed very religious. In fact, they were gathered here in John 12 to celebrate the Passover, celebrate God's deliverance of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. They were very religious in performing outward deeds, outward acts of religion. But spiritually, uh, they were as blind as a bat, as is true of all of us, apart from the Holy Spirit opening our eyes that we may behold Jesus as Savior and Lord and receive him as Savior and Lord. And so we too, not only the Jews at that time, but we too are warned here that we can be very, very religious in going through all the outward motions of faith and yet not have saving faith. We can be like the Jews. We can, again, pride ourselves uh, in uh, certain 
ceremonies, we can pride ourselves in our baptism, we can pride ourselves uh, in very various distinctives that we hold to religiously. Uh, but if that is not turning us in, uh, to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, if that is not turning us to him as the light, uh, then uh, those things actually uh, bring darkness, even though they're what God has given to us to bring light, they can actually bring darkness to us when we do not use them to draw close and near in faith to Jesus Christ. Verse 38. So verse 37, for though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Verse 38, that the saying of Isaiah, that's Isaiah, uh, the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake. Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Uh, that's found in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1 in our English Bibles. And so... Uh, that uh, John the Apostle, as I said, this is a parenthetical uh, remark and commentary, as it were, that he is uh, issuing at this time by way of the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he's saying this, this was predicted. This unbelief on the part of the Jews was predicted and prophesied a long time ago, about 600 years before Christ. Uh, came in Isaiah 53.1 where uh, there uh, it says Lord who hath believed our report and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed in other words the, these two questions imply no one's believing it no one's receiving the report the, the, the truth that is being proclaimed that's basically the reason for the question uh, Lord, who hath received our report? The idea is hardly anybody has received our report. And then the next question, to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord is the strength of the Lord, is the salvation. Uh, again, strength in the arm, uh, that's a metaphor. The arm of the Lord is a metaphor for strength, for the might, for the power of the Lord. Who's the might and the power and the salvation of God but Jesus Christ? And so Isaiah is basically saying, and John, the apostle, is saying, that's not only, that was not only spoken for the sake or to, to the Jews living at the time of Isaiah, but it's being realized now in among the Jews to whom Jesus came. Because he came into his own in John 1 12 or 1 11 he came into his own and his own received him not so again even though there had been many miracles and the, and many even professed to believe in him uh, they did not believe with saving faith they did not believe with saving faith because uh, the Lord knew in John 2.23, he knew what was in man that they, and so he did not 
In John 2.23, Jesus did not commit himself to them, though many professed outwardly that they believed due to the miracles, but they were not believing truly in him. They just had an outward profession. Interesting, though, in talking about Isaiah 53, uh, though hundreds of years ago, the rabbis used to read Isaiah 53. 53 uh, Isaiah 53 is in their Bibles, um, the, in the Old Testament you know, that they use, in the Hebrew that they use, it, it is actually found in their Bibles, which speaks of the Messiah, speaks of the suffering of Christ, and and all of this. Uh, but a, a hundreds of years ago, uh, the rabbis stopped uh, reading Isaiah 53 for their Sabbath readings uh, publicly. They stopped reading because there was, a there, there was so much controversy that was being raised amongst Jews as to who was this speaking of in Isaiah 53. Some said it was speaking of Israel. Uh, but again, I think uh, uh, the reformers made it very clear that uh, it's speaking of, of Jesus, the Messiah, whom you rejected. And so this was a passage that, that Protestants uh, would take to, uh, to the Jews and that God would use to convert them and to help them to see that, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah whom they have rejected. He is the one who came to save them, to save his people from their sin. And so that's why today readings in the synagogue stop in the middle of Isaiah 52, skip over Isaiah 53, and then resume with Isaiah 54. Because, again, the controversy that was raised. So that's why when you talk with Jews today, probably very few, unless they're very, very studious, because as I said, Isaiah 53 is in their Bibles, but they, they are not familiar with it at all. Uh, if they are simply listening to the readings um, at, at synagogue, Verse 39, therefore they could not believe because that as Isaiah, Isaiah said again, and I'm going just uh, to read 39 through 41 here. This is what Isaiah said. He had blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory, that is Christ's glory, and spake of him, and spake of Christ. We'll talk about that in a moment. So John says, with regard to the unbelief of the Jews, quite literally he says they could not believe. They could not. He doesn't say they did not believe, which is true, they did not believe. But he doesn't say that, though that's true. He says they could not believe. In other words, literally, quite literally, 
They did not have the ability to believe. They were unable to believe. That's true of all of us, not just of the Jews. None of us have the ability to believe in Christ apart from God again giving us faith. That's what Jesus meant in John 3, 3, when he said to Nicodemus, unless ye are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, unless you have this new birth and come to life in Jesus Christ, you cannot see, you cannot believe, you cannot, you do not have the spiritual eyes to behold the kingdom of God. And so apart from, again, um, the Holy Spirit giving us that sight and, and the ability to believe, none of us can believe. The Jews couldn't believe then. We can't believe apart from, again, uh, God giving us that, that, uh, that faith. 2 Thessalonians 3.2 says, Not all men have faith. Why don't they have faith? Because, again, in Adam... Uh, we all disbelieve. And until God gives us faith, which he says he does in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Faith is the gift of God. Paul says in Philippians 2.13, it's God that works within us both to will and to do his good pleasure. John 6.44 says that none can come, that is, believe in God with saving faith unless the Father draws them. Unless the Father draws them, gives them the grace to come and to believe in Him, none will. That's just the nature of our fallenness in Adam. It's called total depravity. That we, again, according to Romans chapter 3, uh, none seek after him. None seek after the, the Lord, Romans 3.11, unless he gives us faith. Then we come to Christ. And so, in verse 40, it says, God's blinded their eyes, speaking of the Jews, but this is, this is uh, again, due to a, a judgment that God brought upon the Jews. Uh, God's blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. That's actually taken, again, from Isaiah 6, 9. Uh, but it is applied by John, the apostle, to the generation that uh, is then about to put Jesus uh, to death, uh, the, the great and heinous sin of all sin, to put the Lord Jesus uh, to death, the Son of God, uh, the salvation of God uh, for those uh, who will look to him and trust him and 
and walk in his light. This is, uh, this is simply God's uh, justice. God certainly has the right to blind the eyes and harden the heart of those who will not receive the light that is given to them, who turn against it. And that's what the Lord did with regard to the Jewish people at that time. Uh, they did not receive the light. Uh, they hated and despised the light. They preferred darkness and their unbelief. And God blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, gave them over, basically, gave them over to their unbelief, gave them over to what they wanted, what they desired, which was to be blind and to remain in that blindness. Only God then uh, is able, by his mercy and his grace, to remove that blindness and to give light. And that's, again, uh, uh, what we call mercy. Um, that's what we call grace. God gives us what we do not deserve. That's grace. We don't deserve. We do not deserve uh, his love. We do his his uh, saving love, his redemptive love. We do not deserve uh, uh, his uh, giving to us faith giving to us life, everlasting life, forgiveness of sin. We do not deserve any of these blessings. That's grace. What we deserve is to have our hearts hardened, as God hardened the hearts of the Jews at that time. That's, that's justice. That's pure justice on God's part. He's not being unfair. He's giving them what they deserve, to have their hearts hardened when they reject the light. But we rejected the light and would have rejected the light if God had not shown us grace and given us what we do not deserve. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. We deserve uh, to be punished. We deserve condemnation. We deserve to have our hearts hardened like, like the Jews at that time. But God has shown us mercy. Is God being unfair to those to whom he does not show mercy? No, he's being just to them, but he's being merciful to us. According to, uh, according to Romans 9, 18, God can have mercy. He has mercy upon whom he chooses to have mercy. He hardens those whom he chooses to harden. For him to harden the hearts of, of those who turn uh, away from him, those who want not the light, who prefer darkness and unbelief, uh, and he gives them what they want, that's God's being perfectly just. But he's showing to us his mercy. In verse 41, these things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Uh, a very and we can almost pass over that, but a very, very important comment because what the Apostle John is saying that this, this vision that Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6, so this is this vision uh, here that it's speaking of when it says that uh, Isaiah saw his glory, that is the glory of the Lord of hosts, 
in Isaiah 6, uh, 1. There, just uh, read that very quickly. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And then in verse 3, the seraphim cry one to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so this Lord, which is God, in Isaiah 6, that is revealed in this, in this vision, John says, was Jesus. That was a vision of Jesus. So it's, John is saying Jesus is God. John is saying that Jesus uh, was all along uh, the second person of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. And so this is, again, the, uh, the words of John, that because in verse 41, these things said, Isaiah, when he, that is Isaiah, Isaiah, saw his, whose glory? Christ. Who, who have been talking about this whole time? Uh, we've been talking, John's been talking about Jesus. And uh, here, uh, the glory of the one that Isaiah saw was the glory of Jesus. And John says, and spake of him, of Jesus. So let us, again, uh, understand, be encouraged that uh, the word of God, Old Testament and New Testament, speaks of Jesus as being God, uh, the eternal God. And uh, we have no reason to cower in fear before cults that deny the deity of Jesus Christ. It is in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Let us likewise then join with the angelic seraphim that we find in Isaiah 6.3. Join with them as they declared, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let us join with them in declaring Jesus to be that great and mighty King who reigns over all. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, pray that thou would take the words, thy words, Take, Lord, the, the truth, the light, shine it, Lord, into our minds, our hearts, that we would know it and that we would rejoice in it and love it and practice it, that we would walk in the light as thou art in the light, that we would, Lord, not love darkness and flee to darkness as those who are called the children of light, but that, Lord, even when we fall, May we despise the darkness into which we've fallen and give to us, Lord, the light to repent and the light to seek thy forgiveness and to be restored into fellowship with thee. Thank thee, Lord, for Jesus Christ once again being the one who feeds his, his sheep and the Holy Spirit being our teacher and guide. In Jesus' name, amen.